Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. My name is Raj Baines. Um, Jack isn't here. He is currently in the office, I think. I don't think he's left there. I think his duvet and his girlfriend and everything have moved in, uh, which is why he's not here and why there's not been a pod for a little while. Seb is, I think he's married now or something, so he's... Uh, whatever's something to do with the lady in his life has prevented him from joining the show in this capacity, but he'll be doing the opposition discussion, so you'll be getting some dose of him later on with Moose Rockwonga to discuss Manchester United. My excuse for not being available is that I've had norovirus for the past week or whatever, so this is the first time that I've not had something projectile coming out of some orifice of my body, um, which I'm sure you're all glad to hear. Um, <laughs> I know I am. So this is essentially the least organised and most backwards episode of Ruler of you ever likely to hear um but i do have somebody else on with me it's not just going to be me doing a random soliloquy for the first time ever i think we're going to have sort of two opposition discussions i think i've got carl anchor with me carl thank you very much for coming on and speaking to me mate hello um i think i told you about this about 30 seconds ago so um you've you've done everyone here a favor um <laughs> I think people, um people will know you from joe.co.uk and buzzfeed and your face has been in their youtubes and their snapchats and all that sort of business yeah i'm about my dad is a spurs fan so that that i'll i'll have that as my little nice little feeder how, That's the one here. how then given that your dad has seen the light did you uh lead such a stray life uh so my dad was a spurs fan in the 80s yeah he's one of many uh, Spurs fans from Africa that fell in love with Glenn Hoddle. Um, so he and most of the Marcus famous Ford African fans. footballer Glenn Hoddle. Of course, the famous African footballer Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it, I think the way my dad described it was you either supported Spurs because of Glenn Hoddle or you supported Liverpool because of John Barnes. Right. And that was that was just like the argument when he was growing up. Yeah. Um, so he was Hoddle along with my uncle. Uh, and obviously he came over in the 80s to the United Kingdom, supported Spurs. And as a weird thing, he hates Chelsea more than he hates Arsenal because They're Chelsea racist. had racists, of course. Yeah. Um, so there was a big thing when I was growing up as a kid as to whether or not he was ever going to take me to a football game. Um, and apparently one day I turned around, said, I thought Andy Cole and uh, Dwight York were the baddest men on the planet. And I said, <laughs> I, support, I want to support Man United. And my dad went to my mom, that's great. You can support that team. And I never have to take him to a football game because he's in Manchester. So <laughs> Saved himself some money as well, though. He's doing it. Yeah, yeah, happy days. Happy days. Um, 
I think that's interesting, though, the way you, you sort of you pick a team because um, people often ask me why, you know, having been born and raised in Huddersfield and lived in Leeds all my life, why I don't support a Yorkshire team more accurately, more accurately, more sort of more actively. I think is the word I'm looking for than I do because uh, even though I've got a season ticket at Huddersfield, I've got sort of no emotional connection to my hometown team other than the fact that I I watch them play football quite often because uh, it is. Tottenham for me is is my family club, and I think similar to you, it's because you know dad's side of the family came from the Caribbean, and when they ended up in London, um, Tottenham was the the local team there because um, they didn't want to support the racist team, which was Chelsea, and I don't think um, Arsenal at that point um, gave them anything they wanted to. I think it was just one of those things that got passed down. So from them to dad to me, it's worked that way around. So I've not gone against him in the same way. Although he had a season ticket at White Hart Lane when I was younger and never used to take me as much. So even though he'd spend the money on himself to travel down from Yorkshire to go and watch Spurs every weekend, it wasn't something that was extended to <laughs> me as much. Um, Blessing in disguise. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things. There's some parallel, I guess, in the way we've come to support our clubs. Um, yeah. Do you have a, a soft spot then for Tottenham at all? Given that sort of you've obviously got family members that support the club, or have you you fully Manchester United now? I'm fully Man United. Well, my 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 old housemate described me as half a Spurs fan, so. The the best way I can describe it is... Is that just a tragic half of your life? If Spurs lose a game on the weekend, I'll be mildly annoyed. If Man United lose a game, that's my weekend down the toilet. But if Spurs lose a a game, I'll most likely tweet about it and be like, ah, for the love of God. And then just get on my day. So you have that disappointment by association? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've got one of those relationships where football is probably the only safe area I can talk to with my dad. Right. Therefore, when Spurs are doing well, my relationship with my dad's pretty good. Yeah. So you're almost keeping an eye out to see what Spurs are doing just so you've got something to speak to him about next time he's on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there there was a great moment. Uh, So the first time you guys beat us at Old Trafford in ages on the AV. Was that 2013? I think so, yeah. The 2-3. Yeah. So... The three two even. I, I'm a. I just came out of video game conference. I've been working all day on that Saturday. I went to a pub to watch the rest of the game. Kick off like the game ends, and immediately my phone buzzes. Uh, my dad lives in was living in uh, Barbados at the time. And my phone hard rings. life. Yeah, hard life. Living quite far away. He rings me up, and all like the phone is silent for about four seconds. And all I can hear is he starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> just starts laughing. I'm like, yep, yeah, cheers, Dad. Love you too. He's like, told you. Hangs up the phone. That was it. Just that, phoned up to laugh at me from Barbados. That was um, that was quite an emotional game for me because that was the first time in my lifetime that um, Spurs had won at Old Trafford. Um, and I don't think I'd even really seen us beat Manchester United in any form of competition at any stage um, until that happened. And I was working weekends at that point as well. And it was it was a late kickoff on a, on a weekend, wasn't it? So I think yeah. I'd just left the office and gone to the nearest bar and I watched it sort of unfold by myself. And then when I rung my dad afterwards, it was that sort of enjoyment of having seen it, but that disappointment of not getting to watch it with him because we watched so much football together that it sort of, 
much the same as it is for you. It's a bonding thing for us as well to do. Um, but it was one of those strange ones where it was such a big occasion for Spurs fans for that to have happened. But the fact that I didn't get to watch it with him sort of had a bittersweet element to it. Um, not enough to sort of, you know, put us off. But I, I was glad that we won that one because was, Ferguson was still in charge and it was one that we weren't really tipped to win. And it was still while Manchester United losing was a, as a story, uh, which has rapidly <laughs> regressed in the past few seasons. But we beat you again the season after with Tim Sherwood against David Moyes um, in sort of that a was amazing. <laughs> shit manager derby. Um but yeah, I'm I'm glad that yeah it wasn't the Mize Sherwood game that was the first one that sort of um, we have to remember that by. Um, but given that you you keep an eye on Spurs, and what have you you made of the team over the past few years under Pochettino? Is it have you been looking over envious as a Manchester United fan? Is because Pochettino has been somebody that's been linked with the club quite often. I mean, he, I think he went for lunch with. Um, Ferguson towards the end of last um, season and um, people have been saying with the young players you've got and the work he does with youth um, that'd be a good fit is it? Is it sort of are you looking over enviously given the sort of turbulent times you've had with Moyes and Van Gaal and now Mourinho oh yeah I I, I can't get enough of Pochettino of, of uh, Pochball is what we call it I think so, so. The, the high pressing game with a nice ball playing centre back, really astute goalkeeper. Uh, you've got a really really nice number nine. You've got a, you've got wingers that work really hard. It's it's just like oh man, this is everything I really really enjoyed and took for granted on the Ferguson. And you're doing it with a much younger team of personnel. Oh, like Pochettino is he's how can I say it? Of the band of great managers in the Premier League right now, he's probably going to be the one. He's going to be the one that's going to be around the longest, no question. And he's probably got the the highest, like upward ceiling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like Conte can only get so much better, Mourinho can only get so much better, Wenger's only going to get so much better, Pep's only going to get so much better. There's when an you- argument to be made. There's a, a couple of those managers already had their peak, and they're yeah. just sort of they're treading water now. Yeah. And when you think about how good Pochettino is already, and you know it was only his, it's only been his first Champions League season, uh, he's, he's you know he hasn't quite travelled around and earned his bones yet. Like he could easily be one of the best managers in the world in a decade or so if he wants to do it. Um, and I would love for him to be at Manchester United one day. Although going from Spurs to Manchester United works out thirty percent of the time, so we'll see. What do you sort of? make of Spurs as a club because sort of we were a bit of a joke in the 90s and sort of perennial um, lower half of the Premier League type side um, and it was only really 2005 when Martin Yo came in that sort of this this new breed of Tottenham and, and sort of pushing towards the top end of the table in European football was a reality and, and a consistent reality. Um, has it been, what's, it, what's the sort of the neutral um, attitude towards Tottenham, having seen that progression as a club, is it is it interesting to see how we've grown? Is it is it strange to see a club that were 
I mean, I think Tottenham have always been sort of because we've uh, one of the few clubs now that have always been in the Premier League, and there's there's no sort of relegation. There's been no real disasters with us, sort of financially or anything like that. Apart from there was the one season we started really poorly under Juan de Ramos, that two points in eight games, but yeah, we, we finished comfortably mid table that year. It was it was literally something that lasted for under ten games. Um, has it just been sort of nice to see a club growing? organically maybe instead of sort of you know city springing up out of nowhere and you know buying their way forwards and the same goes with chelsea i guess um i suppose the, uh, the main the main spurs takeaway is in in the nicest way hilarity <laughs> like the best way i can describe spurs is you're the guy that has everything if you could only just turn up to things on time really really funny you go to the gym you're really really engaging and like you've got good patterns down at the pub and you'd be everyone's best mate if you could just turn up to things on time if you could just be punctual like there's just one there's always one thing and like, i love spurs fans because i i think spurs fans are the great philosophers of the premier league <laughs> because spurs because doing the spurs and being spursy is so like deeply ingrained into your club's dna that your fans have got a really, really nice, dry sense of humour that generally I really get on well with Spurs fans. I just find them funny. Do you think um, there is a um, there is sort of a correlation between the football team you support and your personality? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think... Uh, I'm, am I allowed to talk about Arsenal? On you a Spurs can, yeah. yeah, as long yeah, as it's I think... <laughs> I think Arsenal fans are fascinating. I, uh, I think Arsenal fans are really, really interesting. If you want to look at like the recession and like the Tony Blair years into like the deep depression of, oh my God, there's no money left. I think Arsenal fans are a good indication of that. Like you were really, really high and mighty in 1997. And now you're just a bit, you know, you're red and you're a bit of a shambles and you can't quite like figure out what's going on in the middle. Um, I think Liverpool fans, again, like similarly have a really, really nice sense of humour they're like oddly nostalgic about stuff and they're like fiercely uh, defensive of all their lads. Do you not find uh, them somewhat entitled? Yes, but I'm a Manchester United fan, so I can't really, <laughs> you know, pot kettle black. Yeah. Uh, I think City fans are really interesting um, recently because City fans have like a weird chip on the shoulder that I can't, I don't understand why. It's like, like the, it's like they've won the lottery, but they're angry about it at the same time. I'm, uh, it's, it's an odd one to gauge. Yeah, they've won the lottery, but they're still annoyed they're shorter than their older brother. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I think they were almost more comfortable and happier being a bad club. Um, I think that almost fitted their psyche better. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's strange to see what's happened with them because they are they did it in such a quick manner and sort of where their money's come from and everything, such a, a strange thing to have happened. I mean, with, with Chelsea, their money has almost just enabled their sort of horrible attitude to sort of just, it's been a microphone to that and amplified what was already sort of a, a, a horrible personality as a, as a club and a fan base. But Manchester City seems slightly more uncomfortable in that skin. Yeah, Manchester City are the person that's got a lot of money. They've bought a personal stylist and they're wearing all the clothes and they look they, they look like they were dressed really, really well, but they don't stand up straight. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, you're dressed really well. You don't look like you're enjoying wearing a nice suit. City so are like, oh, yeah, it's really nice having Aguero and Leroy Sané and all these young players, but oh, oh, why does everyone keep complaining about our stadium? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is a, we're wildly divergent now. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, but, it's interesting though because one point I've always made is that I think Tottenham are perhaps the best club to grow up supporting because I think they set you up the best for the real world because sort of the odd bit of silverware and pockets of glory every now and then. So there are good days as a Spurs fan. There are, obviously there are there are successes, but you've you're always aware that there's something around the corner. You you, you never too confident you never sort of take anything for granted you you do have that almost streetwise um sort of edge to your personality and in, in your outlook because of just how luck tends to be for our team but I, I always think that maybe you know especially imagine a if a man united fan born in 1992 the same as i was won't have seen them do anything but win for 20 years and then fergie retired and it's almost like they've they've now had to confront what actually being a football fan is, that it isn't yes. just endless sort of trophies. It's like watching them have to confront their own mortality is sort of a, a really strange thing to do because they they don't seem able to do it. They, they, they seem to... One, one phrase that always comes up is, oh, this is Manchester United, that's a Manchester United thing to do. And given that that sheen has sort of slowly been stripped away from the club... I'm not sure whether or not what Manchester United used to mean is is ever going to be able to be replicated again because there was just a an innate fear and scariness about sort of the stature of the club and and what they'd do. You, you know, you'd it'd be the only club in the league where you'd be five nil up and you'd still think they were somehow going to win the game. It, they had that sort of almost like a comic book style evil to them, but. Yeah. I don't think that's there anymore. It, 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 it is sort of, you know, Wizard of Oz you've seen behind the curtain now and and it is just a man. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think, so your your point about, so I'm, I was born in 91. All I ever saw was United winning trophies. Uh, and in the Moy season, I always say the Moy season, the 81 cross game, that was my football education. That was me watching a football game going, oh my God, this is what football is. This is like... The, for the most part, I am not meant to enjoy one watching my football team play, and for the most part, my team will probably only win maybe half of their games a season. And I've been incredibly fortunate to watch Ferguson, um, and it's it's slowly sinking into me now that Man United might not win a Premier League for four or five years. Man United might not be the the number one destination for footballers on the transfer market anymore. Um, there might be a point where a player has a choice between going to Man United and a rival, and I'll choose the rival because the rival will be better. And it's all slowly sinking into me now. And it's, it's re- I'm hopefully, I think I'm taking it with a laugh and a smile. But every now and again, I will watch a game going, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe this is happening. This is not for <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, again, uh, I think the aura of Man United's gone already. I yeah, think. that's that, that's the thing that sort of because the infrastructure of the club's still there. I mean, the youth team is dwindling somewhat, but the money's still there. The sort of the brand power of of that club is still there. It maybe is more of a brand than a football club now because it is one of those things where no matter where you go on the planet, you're never more than 
five meters away from somebody in a Manchester United shirt. That's just one of the facts of life. That's just how big that club are. But there, you know, West Brom will go to Old Trafford now, and Tony Pulis in the back of his mind will be thinking, "We can have a win here." Whereas, yeah. you know, a handful of years ago. Whenever you played Man United, you just write it off and go, if we get a point, that's decent, but we're not going to win this game. It was, you just, you resigned yourself to defeat, and I don't think that's there anymore. Mm, it can come back, but it takes four or five years of coming back. It takes like a root and branch redoing. And I'm not sure Mourinho is the person to do it. I am pretty sure Pochettino could be the person to do it. Um, because I like, if you look at Spurs now, you know, the, the consistent thing was Spurs would always let you down. They'd go 3 0 up against Chelsea in the FA Cup and they draw three all and then they get a replay and lose. Yeah. Whereas I think now you look sturdy, you've got a reputation of being a little bit of a twerp. Like in the nice way, you've got some really you got some oh, players. Yeah, we, that... We've got some absolute dickheads in our team. I mean, yeah. we often in... on this podcast wax lyrical about just we put Eric Lamella in sort of fantasy fight situations and think about <laughs> the many ways in which he'd sort of like poke, scratch, and like bite his way out of any fight he was put into. He, he, a horrible character, you know. Delia yeah. Lee will you know scrap people, and I've personally you know spoken about how happy I was. Um, in an odd way, when we drew that game at Stamford Bridge and that was when Leicester were mathematically the champions, I was still incredibly happy to watch Tottenham just go out and kick the living shit out of Chelsea because <laughs> it was going. It was, it was one of those things that, as a Tottenham fan, I'd never seen that that mean streak and that sort of that backbone is, as you say, we we were seen as a pushover and a bit of a joke and and soft centred and. If if anything, it's the opposite of that now. I mean, results-wise, maybe we, we'll still shoot ourselves in the foot, but we'll go down swinging rather than sort of laying down and accepting our fate. Yeah, I think now teams are going to water lane knowing that you're going to get pressed the hell out of. No matter what happens, you will not have a spare moment on the ball, which is the beginnings of what Ferguson built his empire on. Um, which is, again, why I think quite a few Man United fans are slightly envious of what's being done. Uh, I mean, if you gave me the option right now to send any one player to Spurs, I'd happily give you Memphis just to see what you do to him. Because I think you turn him into, like, another whirling, spinning dervish of a dickhead on the wing, like you've done to Lamella. And I'd love to, you know, lend him to you, you give him back. I'm like, oh, great. Now we've got someone who wins the ball up early. Now we've got nobody, now we've got somebody to not play for six months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be helpful. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there there is an interesting hierarchy to the Premier League. And I, I think the best... I'm one of those people that think one of the best performances in the league this season was what Spurs did to City. That was a masterclass in pressing up high and early and smashing on the counter-attack the moment you get the chance. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a shame that, you know, Spurs right now have a problem with, you know, a few of your players are a bit knackered because obviously the Euros came in and, you know, there's like an extra 15% that maybe you weren't at where you were last season. Uh, but if you watch the Champions League game on uh, Wednesday, Alderweireld came back and went, hey, I've got the ball, cross feed diagonal. Oh, Kane's got it, crossed it, Ali scored. Uh, I watched it and I went, oh, God, just in time for Saturday. <laughs> um, what? Uh, speaking of Saturday, we, we won't do too much about it because seven... Moose will speak about that much more specifically, I'm sure, 
um, in a minute. But um, is it is a Tottenham team now you fear playing against? I mean, last time we we played each other at White Hart Lane, we I think we scored three goals in about three minutes and absolutely <laughs> blew you away. Um, and the games have been close. I mean, they weren't um, under Van Hal. They, they they weren't sort of processions on uh, apart from that one. Is it is it? Because you know, there's that famous lads it's Tottenham, lads it's Spurs, or whatever it was that Fergie said about us. Um, is that still there for you, or is this one where you definitely start going, no, they're they're better than we are now? Uh, it's it's definitely not lads at Spurs anymore. It's definitely this is a it's a good barometer. So Everton and Spurs are I think Everton and Spurs now are really good barometers of where this Man United is because both Everton and Spurs back under Fergie. If we drew, I'd be really disappointed. Whereas now, if we drew, I'd be like, oh well, you know, they're both very good teams with good managers and they both have a certain side of play. I can, I'm I've gone from convincing myself a draw is a bad result to convince myself a draw is a good result which I hope is a sign of respect to Spurs now. Yeah. Like, you know, you've got Harry Kane, one of the best strikers. You've got a very good, very balanced midfield. Far, your midfield and your attack is far more balanced and varied compared to ours. And you've got the type of fullbacks that would make our team struggle. So if we win, I'm really happy. If we draw, fine. But that's that's something that even a few seasons ago wouldn't have been the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three seasons. I mean, the AVB one hurt because I expected Manchester United to win. Yeah. And it's that thing. I've gone from expecting to beat Spurs and beat them in a rudimentary 2-0 win to being like, if we beat them 2-0, that's a really good sign that we're on the up. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I'm going through this game and I'll be happy with a point. Okay. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be even happier if Ashley Young didn't get played as a fourth nine. <laughs> we'll, we'll find <laughs> out. That um, what we'll do now is we'll go to um, whatever Seb has recorded with Musa. Um, essentially, it'll probably be the chat we've just had, but by two far more intelligent people um, <laughs> and done far more eloquently than us uh, with Seb in my place and, and Moosa in yours um, so enjoy that chat right welcome to the interview segment of Rule the Roost um, we've got a returning friend of the show with us Moosa Okwonga uh, preview our visit to Old Trafford this weekend Moosa hello hello thanks for having me again pleasure how are you doing mate <laughs> since since Raj I mean you, you came on before and of course Raj lost the uh, the audio I think we reference this every time you come. Well, on, uh, I mean, Raj, Raj lost the plot, and that's fairly standard for Raj, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> he, he seems to be doing well for himself. You know, I can't. You know, he's a great writer and all the rest. I'm not really a hater, but you know, you know, Raj, he's got his moments, um, and do. that was one of them. Yeah. So you know, that's it a... does. All right. Well, we before we start recording this, we were actually mid Mourinho chat, so we'll just pick that up. Um, uh, yeah, you said to me off air. I hope you don't mind me repeating this. Um, you said to me off air that um, that you reckon that uh, Mourinho is failing his players. Uh, discuss. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at United. But what they've they've scored what nineteen goals in fourteen matches with the amount they've invested in that forward line and the attacking midfield positions. Uh, what in the league? The last eight games they've drawn six. I think they've drawn six of the last eight in the league. This is astonishing, and they've beaten them. I mean, they've beaten Swansea. 
you know, everyone's beating Swansea these days. Um, Swansea, everyone beats Leicester, right, so yeah. Right, exactly. So it's, it's really it's really unimpressive what they're doing in terms of their attack. And they brought in Mkhitaryan. He's played really well in his last two starts, well, his first two starts in a while since the City derby. Um, and you, you really think to yourself, but you should have been doing that since August. And the things Muno's getting credit for now are things he should have been doing two or three months ago. So why hasn't he been doing them? And people, oh, oh Mkhitaryan's got no attacking chemistry with Marshall. Well, they've not been played together. This is, this is elementary stuff. This is me. the thing, isn't it? I mean, because um, I've heard that attacking chemistry line before, and I, I, I don't know of a way that players can integrate into teams without actually playing in teams. And so the Mkhitaryan thing, I, Jose Mourinho seems to be the only person in European football who doesn't think, or who hadn't thought but previously, that uh, the Mkhitaryan would, uh, would, would diversify United's attack and make them more, a, a more dangerous proposition and actually you know, uh, extract a, sort of a, a higher level of performance out of each individual existing component. Um, it's, it's extraordinary. Mkhitaryan was at the centre of perhaps the best attacking midfield that Borussia Dortmund has ever seen. Yeah. You know, they had to have it. They were beaten to the league only by a historic performance by Bayern Munich. A historic performance that he was astonishing last year. His leap in form was oh, astonishing. We we we, uh, yeah. we we played them in the Europa League, mate. We our fan base doesn't need to. Right. So you, sorry, <laughs> we, we my, know. My, sorry, yeah, we know. Sorry, my point. So sorry, I didn't mean, didn't mean to sort of didn't mean to sort of didn't mean to tip over that we, landmine. We but, remember. Um, yeah. Right. So so you know, it's really it's really bizarre the mismanagement. And I know. I know there are kind of United fans and loyalists, you know, keep the faith and so on. Right, there are also facts. There's the empirical study. There's the quality of what United have. That you, you cannot tell me that somewhere in that front six, you know, when you have Pogba, Herrera, Carrick, uh, Martial, Mkhitaryan, Mata, like all those names, Rashford, Ibrahimovic, Rooney to an extent, who's been a bit better in recent games. You cannot tell me there is not a combination of superb players there that cannot mm. produce fine attacking penetrative attacking football you know, if, any 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 other coach you know look at Conte Guardiola given those players would be producing far more enterprising and more important more effective football I think you know what's interesting I I, I, I um I watched your game against Everton on Sunday and uh one nil Everton hadn't really doing hadn't really done anything until about probably the the 70th minute when they started to get a little bit of momentum in it you know, the, I, I sort of their, their, their play started to be animated by desperation a little bit, um, uh, like a, a sort of a, a historic Mourinho um, strength has been sort of establish a, a lead within a game, and then lock the game up, um, mm. even when it even when it wasn't entirely necessary. So I remember times when you know we was at Chelsea and, and he'd get a, a two nil lead against Hull, for instance, and he would he would he would. You'd introduce a holding player, a, a, a John Obi Mikel type, for instance, uh, Ramirez, yeah. to, and, and remove an Oscar or Hazard. And I, I just um, his Fellaini substitute substitution was interesting for two for two reasons. Firstly, that um, if you put Maran Fellaini inside his own penalty box uh, and you invite a team to play essentially on top of you and you retreat deep into your own half, bad things are eventually going to happen. Mm, Secondly. Right. Like uh, 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 after the game, he, he essentially threw Fellaini under the bus a little bit, which is it's really strange. I, I just think, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear, uh, to hear this from your perspective. But I just think there's just a, a changing of the man as well as the coach. Well, there's a couple of things about Fellaini. The first thing is, um, as someone noted very well on Twitter, uh, I think Doc Joshi, the user, said, it's not his fault he was brought on then. 
right? No, it's not Fellaini's fault he's brought on. Uh, Mourinho's explanation was bizarre. This is a guy, Mourinho, who said that Fellaini was the natural replacement for Pogba. I cannot think of two <laughs> players. I cannot think of two footballers over six foot tall who are less similar than Fellaini and Pogba. I, I, I actually cannot think of two players. There's also the fact that, you know, his explanation, you bring on a two metres tall player, um, you know, uh, towards the end of the match. This is such a bizarre explanation. You're, you're concerned to retain possession. Fellaini's ball retention has historically been at about 80%. Mm-hmm. I mean, ever since he was at Everton, I mean, one of my big concerns when Fellaini was signed from Everton, I think the year before he signed for us, his, his pass completion was like 78%, which is really, really poor. Um, at this level, like, it's just like five percent less than it should be, right? So, Everton, so you bring on a player to keep the ball. Everton shifted around a, mil- a little bit, mate. When, when he was they, 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 they did, they did, they did. He didn't but, have a but, 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 yeah. He did, but 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 at seventy-eight percent, even if you're playing in the final third, is too yeah. low. Yes, it is too low yeah. at this level. It's like five percent less than it should. Whatever. Given what his so, game is, he's not he's not playing expressive passes. He's not a he's not a playmaker in that situation. He is a quite literally a recycler. Of right, and I think the thing with Mourinho is actually. Um, I think he's suffering from the same thing Leicester are suffering from. Um, Leicester are being allowed to have the ball. And if Mourinho's teams are invited, invite, so, so teams are basically letting them have the ball and then just hammering them, yeah. um, making them play. And I think with United, people have wised up. They're like, well, this is a team that doesn't really like having possession. They're very reactive. So actually, we can impose our game on them whenever we see fit because they're always going to react to us. This is the problem, Mourinho. Mourinho's problem is he does not have a clearly defined, I know the word is hated among United fans because Van Hals, the word philosophy, he does not have a clear philosophy. No, not anymore. It's not, he, he looks at a team and he says, I'll respond to them, I'll do this and that. And it feels like he, unfortunately, I think he's winging it. Mm. I think he's uncertain. I think, you know, winging it is a bit harsh, but I think he's trying to innovate in a way that he hasn't to before because his old methods aren't working. And I genuinely think he is nonplussed. It's... On that note, it's interesting also, um, Mourinho is always surrounded by uh, little PR men who work in the press who, who do his bidding for him and, and you know publish stories which have been sort of written essentially by him himself. Uh, and, and one of the kind of the, the lines which has come out over the last couple of weeks has been this sort of this insistence that he really needs another two transfer windows and another two hundred million pounds to to um to, 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 to arrive at whatever his destination his intended destination is. Uh and it's just that's also a very strange thing to say because given the talent that's at Manchester United, you you've already said this before that you, you should be able to construct something out of There's enough there. I think there's enough there to be a I, and I quite agree with you. Um, there's that I arguably the United squad is better balanced than the Chelsea squad, arguably, in terms of its balance and its depth. There's there is, you know, the failures I think United maybe had, if I'm being really, really brutal, are a failure to buy another centre-back mm. and a failure to buy maybe, and I, I think Valencia's really good, but I don't think he's a good enough right-back playmaker. I think they should have bought someone like Fabinho. I very, very good impression of a, a right-sided full-back. I, don't think I think they, should have, bought, they should have bought someone like Fabinho from Monaco simply because mm. if you have a player who's a playmaker for the right-back position, it allows your central strikers to play close together in a tight three, which is what United need. Mm-hmm. And... Valencia, for all his strength overlapping, does not have the combination in the playmaking and getting beyond the final man as an option. He's not, you know, and bless him, you know, he's, he's never been Danny Alves, but Fabinho um, would have been the ideal right fullback. And it's so surprising given that Fabinho is a Mendes client. And it's actually interesting because Mendes has been surprisingly timid. That's um, it. I, I thought he would essentially become yeah. United's director of football. Yeah, well, I thought so, actually. In a funny kind of way, it would have been better if he had, because <laughs> yeah. we, might have had, we might have got Renato Sanchez. We might have got Renato Sanchez as well. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, you know, so you know, it's really, really strange what's happening in United at the moment, um, and I can't really fathom it. And I'm, I'm not sure Mourinho can either. Um, okay, and, and enough negatives. What's going well at United? Uh, what's going well? Rashford, but Rashford, Marcus Rashford's always good. I mean, you could put the guy in a hurricane; he would mm. come up with a great first touch. Like um, Mkhitaryan, it's great to see him back. It's great to see Mata, um performing again, although that creates its own problem because how do you accommodate Mata and Mkhitaryan without dropping Rooney or Ibrahimovic? seem like they've got privileged status in that squad uh pogba actually is playing i think fairly well um could be could be better but actually i like what he's producing i think pogba is maybe a victim again of what's around him um rojo has been (laughs) pretty good the last couple matches so he's probably (laughs) probably do a big mistake i know he's probably he should absolutely be suspended for sunday's game uh for that that, that tackle it was on well uh, yes well it was oh my goodness yeah it's brutal yeah, and I know. And I, won't, I won't excuse. I'm not one of those kind of like partisan fans that excuses that stuff. It's pretty nasty. Um, what else is going well? Of course, Mkhitaryan. I've mentioned him again already, but it's great to see him playing and looking effective and happy. Martial is back to form. Uh, it never takes long with Martial because again, he's one of those players that just needs a run of games. Um, and do, like oh, Martial, do, you, do yeah. you think? I watch him. I watch him play from the left hand side. Okay, it's a fairly narrow left sided play sort of role, but. I um, I I I don't know. I just think it, it continually has a minimizing effect on what he can do. I I, I really yes, like yes, what yes. what Martial can do inside of the penalty box, and I I'm fully appreciative of his of his ability to take defenders on and to to add something from that position. I just think it's uh, I think it's very strange. I think uh, accommodating Ibrahimovic as a as a as a lone forward makes United very static. I I watched this. I I noticed this on on Sunday that um. It makes, for all Ibrahimovic's qualities and his goal return, he makes United extremely predictable. Yes, um, yes. And I yes, don't understand absolutely. that either. I, I, I don't understand why, because Martial is not, Rashford, I, 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 I'm a great fan of Rashford, but I can understand the reticence. Young guy is still unproven. You know, there, there's no transfer fee which, which kind of compels a manager to, to play him in his best position or to play him particularly often. Martial is, a, you know, one of the most expensive teenagers of all time. Um, should have signed Pedro, should have signed Renato Sanchez. This is why you sign yeah, these yeah, wide yeah. forwards. This is why you sign, you sign wide forwards that allow players like Rashford to ease into the team. And you sign these experienced wide players that allow a player like Martial to really find his feet. So if you contrast the treatment of Ian Acho and Martial, 
Iheanacho has been given responsibility in big matches yes. and has performed extremely well. And Guardiola gives people this faith. And, you know, to Van Hal's credit, Van Hal played Martial through the middle at certain points. And, he, you know, he was involved in the recruitment of Martial. You know, and I just think that he, like you, he is utterly wasted. Yes, he can beat men from wide positions, but so could Henri. And there comes a point where you have to play someone at the peak of your attack to make them flourish. And Martial, actually, my fear is that he won't, we won't see the best of him at United. My fear, actually, my, my only barely suppressed fear is that he'll go somewhere like Bayern or wherever, or, or he'll replace Benzema at Real. That's my fear. Um, yeah. Because he's, he's a terrific player um, who has every attribute of it. It's actually insane if we think about the talent United have. We've got, you know, we've got Rashford and Martial, two of the best young forwards in world football under the age of 21. This is an incredible level of talent. Yeah. And yet you both put, are both yeah. are forced to, to orbit around first Rooney, now Ibrahimovic. It's it's, it's absolutely it's bizarre how Marie, how, how uh, Mourinho thought that would work, how he thought the dynamic of Rooney Ibrahimovic would work. Nobody believed that that would be an effective dynamic. I don't know what he was thinking. And but the only thing Mourinho would say, and this is the thing, is why he's now backtracking. Mourinho talked about um, you know, winning the title this year. That was the thing we aimed to win this year. All this big talk. And you look at it, you think to yourself, you talked a very big game for someone who's so ill-prepared. This is the thing. Like, Guardiola came in the door, humble. Conte came in humble. By all means, talk a big game. When you talk a big game, it gives the impression you have a plan. He had more time to prepare. This is the most damning indictment of Mourinho. He had more time to prepare than anybody else this summer. He had all that time off. He had a dossier he submitted. And he came to it. Yeah, Makatarian, he said, I need a fast right winger to counterattack. And the guy didn't play. You bought the th- he bought the three leading assist makers, three of the leading assist makers in the top five leagues in Europe. And and and, and what's he getting out of them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to be brutal, but no, I no, well, I, it, it just no, I, I, I only scoff because I don't understand it myself. I, I, I just um I in my mind, um and I, I, I know this is gonna sound like sniping from you know, no, go for sub, it, go but for it, I go for it. I wonder whether, you know, I wonder whether sort of the, the boardroom imperatives and the commercial direction of the team. Um, I mean, I look at someone like Ibrahimovic and you won't find, a, you know, a, a bigger fan of what he's done in his career than me. But it's just even that is a very strange signing to make at this point in Manchester United's history, because it's a this is a, you know, this is a natural start point. You know, OK, Moyes, Van Gaal. Full stop after that. Let's go again. Let's start, you know, not to be all Gerard about it, but let's, um, you know, mm. let's, 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 let's create something with, okay, not a, not a sort of a Ferguson level of permanence, but at least a sort of within a sort of a five year span. And, and, and Ibrahimovic is, yes, he's going to sign a new contract and he's going to be here next year, but Ibrahimovic is not past the next five years. Um, well, this, this is the weird thing. The early signs were already promising. You look at the four signings this summer, they were all superb. Yep. They were all, I mean, in terms of like Ibrahimovic, if he continued to finish, I mean, this thing, Ibrahimovic's finishing has been really poor this year. Really poor. And like, yes, this is the thing. He's scored, he's scored 11 or 12. Yeah, but but I mean, he's, he's missed chances at really yes, vital points done. in matches. Like, he's missed in the early, the first three or four minutes. He's missed, you know, goals that put us ahead and really just kept us moving forward. So here's the thing he has not delivered in the vital stages of games, even though he's scored 11 or 12 goals, whatever it is. Um, Pogba actually has been, I think, slightly misdeployed, but is a very, you know, is, a, is Paul Pogba. I, I almost, I almost don't want to have a conversation with him. It's Paul Pogba. This is a guy who is on the verge of being world-class. And if you put yeah. Paul Pogba in the Barcelona midfield alongside Iniesta and 
Busquets, I do think he would excel. If you put Pogba alongside them instead of Andre Gomez in the Classico, I think he would see a completely different footballer, in my opinion. I do think you'd see that. Hey, I, I think I, you know Pogba. I'm with you on this. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't tolerate criticism of Pogba because I, think I just think he has, the guy has, every, he has everything. Yeah. So you look at it and you have to say, actually, the flaws are they're Mourinho. It's Mourinho. And Mourinho is because Mourinho has lost his nerve. I mean, one matter has been, for example, Matt has been terrific for us, right? He's been really good for us this year. At the same time, the old Mourinho would have got rid of him because he would have understood this is a selection problem. He would have said, this is a selection problem. I can't keep alternating this many players. There's not enough speed in the team if Matt is in there as well. He would have changed something around. He would have maybe got rid of Rooney. You know, the old Mourinho would have been a lot more decisive, but for some reason, maybe it's a commercial imperative, who knows what it is. Well, that, that's why I reason, think it is, maybe, yeah, because yeah. I think that a, a, any Mourinho team, I mean, uh, certainly... Certainly in this sort of second stage of Mourinho's career, the mm. the kind of the understanding anytime he comes in, one of one of the first changes he seems to make is he wants a mobile forward, not mm. necessarily for attacking purposes, but because he is without, you know, sort of playing along with the kind of the Mourinho's a negative coach line, he is quite a defensive coach. And so, you know, Diego Costa was ideal for him because Costa is that sort of that rugged forward who scores goals, course great, does a lot of good things in attack when he's attacking. Also, is a stubborn little fucker without the ball. And me- remember, Chelsea were brutal. Didn't they beat uh, Everton 6-3, I think, at Goodison? Yeah. yeah. At Goodison. That, yeah. that is not a place you go and destroy people. Or they went, I think, was it Burnley and beat 3-1 early in the season? The when Burnley were like, you know, a very, well, yeah. a very well coached, a very well coached Burnley side. And, and Fabregas absolutely unpicked them. Scherler as well. Costa, yeah. they cut through them. Like brilliant midfield, yeah. brilliant midfield balance. What Fabregas, Matic, that's a very progressive balanced midfield mm-hmm. against most teams at that time. You know, this is Mourinho, you know, he, he's caricatured um, as being defensive, I think, a lot, but he also doesn't help himself sometimes. But here's the point. He seems to have lost something. And I don't know if it's just because he said no to big money before. He's spent what well, he's the he's the highest spending manager in, in, in the in football history. Mm-hmm. So he's he's had big budgets at his disposal and he's you know he's faced down his management. Something has gone deeply wrong. It feels like he's lost a little bit of his autonomy. I mean, I, I know when he arrived, it was sort of it was reported that, that he had a kind of um, he had sort of transfer market primacy, but it doesn't really seem that way because when you when you look at this Manchester United and okay, forgetting all the kind of the the uh, tactical restraints on on the, the the players who are there, it just doesn't look like a team which has been built on the back of his decisions, which is. An odd thing to say. That may be completely wrong. That's just a that's just a perception. I, I don't know. I, I find it to be honest, it's so hard to work out what's going on, and that's part of the problem. If you look at all the other clubs, uh, you know, it's the top five clubs, you know, obviously Spurs included. And Spurs, I mean, don't give me the Champions League thing, Spurs Champions League venture, I don't understand what happened there because it just seems such a, an aberration, really. But you look at all the top five managers, right? And you can see what they're doing or trying to do. Mm. It's clear. You know, there aren't these big mysteries. I mean, I suppose the exception of Musa Sissoko, which is, I'm sorry for the namesake there, but, you know, the dude is not doing it. No, uh, well, he's, I, he, no one in this podcast would, would defend that because uh, it I, is I a think mystery. no one wanted... I, I, I've never known a player... To less suited, less suited. To well, not even that, do. mate. But just to be so reflexively um, disliked, because no one, no one wants him at Tottenham. Um, and my own personal opinion is, the sooner he goes, the better. Already, because he has no, he has no role to play at all. And and to, to break your transfer record for that would. I could do 20 minutes alone on that, just monologuing. So take me away from that. And <laughs> okay, I'll take you away. <laughs> okay, but but you know, in, in relation to Mourinho and autonomy. 
I, I look, the guy could still have rotated Rooney earlier, dropped him earlier. You know, I, I, I can't believe that, that, that Mourinho was watching all those players in training and was thinking every single day, oh, yes, I will start Rooney over Mkhitaryan. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that was actually a thing. And you know what his thing as well? In the dressing room as well, you look at that and they must have been like, how is this happening? How is, how is Fellaini ahead of Schweinsteiger for 20 minutes a match? In you know even Swartzak is not that you know not that, not that well and his legs aren't that great. How is how is how is Fane ahead of Schneiderlin? Morgan Schneiderlin. How how is Schneider not getting anything like a look in? And there's so much revisionism now. People go, oh Schneider wasn't good for you last year. So look, Schneiderlin actually in the games where you had the right players around him was extremely effective for us last year. Extremely. Well, I remember. I remember he had I watched those back games. to back very impressive Southampton seasons, and he. It shouldn't. I know it's Southampton and it's a kind of different club. But it this is a good gone. footballer. Was a good well, footballer. Lallana's Lallana, doing fine. Lallana's doing, doing fine. I mean, yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah. But also, he's a made, good player. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't disguise how good Southampton's defensive record. You know, both defensive records from each season were when he was at the club. Um, right. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think what's happening now is we're throwing Schneider under the bus because it makes us feel better. Yeah. yeah oh, he wasn't a United player. Actually. Uh, yeah, he yeah he was, and yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He's he's one of the players we could have retained. I mean, I was saying we had a centre midfield of Pogba, Herrera, and Schneider. Carrick, you know, begins to fade. That's really quite a good midfield. It's not going to do everything because I think actually to take the next level, you need a kind of Gundogan player. I think you need whatever well, needs a Gundogan. I mean, I'm obsessed with yeah, that guy. I think he's amazing. Yeah, but, yeah, oh, oh my goodness, what, well, we can't even. I mean, that guy is. Um, He's the German, the German Iniesta. But anyway, I'm yeah, going yeah. to stop you before that that moves into George Weir territory. Um, sorry, sorry, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just a, just a note for our, our listeners. Uh, Mister and I went to school together, and uh, yeah, the, the George Weir phase that was that was this is this is this is back in the '90s, and that was that was a very pure kind of love. That I think uh, I've never seen anything like it to this day. Um, that's true, true, very true. But also, I wanted to stop you because I want to talk about Schweinsteiger. You live in Berlin, um, right. You live in Germany. Uh, I I I I really haven't enjoyed the way Schweinsteiger has been treated because I I accept that his best days are behind him and I accept also that he is uh, physically quite a fragile player now and I, that's entirely legitimate. However, um, maybe call me old-fashioned, but I don't believe in treating someone who has been what Schweinsteiger has been in the game as Mourinho has done. I I, 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 I think I, I mean there's I think there's a couple of things I think that. If we start with the kind of in Mourinho's defence, apparently um, Schweinsteiger right, was right, possible. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> apparently, apparently, um, apparently, Schweinsteiger was not the best loved uh, dressing room presence. Okay. But here's the thing: I'm always interested in what comes out of dressing rooms. I'm always interested in the selective nature of what emerges because United have been very poor for the last, you know couple of years and that's down to a variety of individuals and it just seems that certain players get bad press and other ones don't um and I, i'm like you i don't think he deserved i think that schweinsteiger under a new manager a chance to prove himself would have been really keen to make something happen i believe that i maybe call me naive I, and he's also a guy that he actually i think he enjoys actually being united he may not always you know give his best or whatever his fullest but i think he likes the prestige of being attached to that club at this point in his career but you know did i mean like he could have been at schalke or something but he didn't he went to a big club and it's a big stadium he can be revered and i think he likes that i just think that's the kind of guy that you give 15 20 minutes here and there treat him like sadu Keita. you know there were games where i think it was we won for 2-1 last year 
and I think he scored the late winner he twice. Like, winner. And that yeah. was classic. Brought him on. He scored the winner. And I think he played, I think he played the entire match. But he came on in about, I think, three or four games last year with 20 minutes to go and just changed the entire direction of the match. Dare I like, say, quite useful. The passing, the continuity. On the Sunday as well. I mean, like in that kind of scenario. Where... Well, well, this is, yeah, well, exactly, mm. exactly. Exactly. Or even in the Europa League. I mean, we hammered, was it final, I think. But he came on with like 15, 20 minutes to go and just was like, it was like when Iniesta came on in the Classico. It was like, oh, daddy's here. Did he watch the Classico? <laughs> Iniesta came, yeah, it was like, daddy's here. Yeah, it was like, everyone's, oh my God, daddy's here. And you could just see all the, all the kids running. Daddy, look what I've drawn. Daddy, look what I drew when you were away. And you could see it. Everyone just like, Iniesta opened up. <laughs> and I think, and Schweinsteiger in certain matches and with, with, against deep line defences and with a fairly young team, a young forward line, he just calmed down the attack. And add that kind of, and, and also like as a as a dressing room presence, as a guy that's just done everything. And I mean, well, like when the Bergkamp was treated at Arsenal, yeah. you can't imagine Wenger treating Schweinsteiger like that. You just can't. Well, you, all these. I mean, in my, it, in my, it's interesting to note kind of the way that Bergkamp's a great example because if you listen to the way that um, players who play with him speak of him now, it's almost like they're talking they're talking about their own fathers. I mean, or the same is very true of Cantona. I mean, if you, whenever a, a Gary Neville or a, a Beckham or a Scholes talks about Cantona, it is there's this reverence here, which I have to believe is healthy. Um, I don't know. Schweinsteiger was never likely to ever be either a Burkamp or a Cantona um, because that part of his career is over. But you know, in a show me your medals kind of situation, he's a pretty useful guy to have around. I mean, and you, yeah, you need, yeah, exactly. This is the thing, and I think. Mourinho, this is a guy we know likes to generate, no, needs to generate conflict. Yeah. He reminds me of what are these, you know, these rappers, you know, the rappers back in the 90s, like they were always picking beefs, right? You had like they were always battling on the rappers. You, you, you like 50 Cent. He's like, Mourinho's like 50 Cent. He came in, no one really liked him, but he won everything and he was the biggest. So, like, no one could, no one could complain. And 50 Cent got famous by basically like attacking every other rapper. But now, modern rap, everyone's too busy doing their own thing. They're either all quite friendly and civil or they're just making their own music. So the old generation of rappers that were always scrapping like Mourinho, they're like, they're kind of like, oh, what do we do now? We can't pick fights with these rappers. They're too busy making records. And Mourinho has that old school thing. If you look at all the kind of people like Klopp, Conte, Guardiola, they're really busy. Yeah. They're really busy working on their own teams. How many wars of words these guys get involved in? That's it. And all That's the exactly things. Right. Mourinho wants to generate tension or conflict. No one's giving it to him. And so what he's doing is he's cannibalizing his own squad. That's why I think that's one reason why he's picking fights with his own players and hanging out with the dry. He needs something to react against. He's never been in a situation where no one has taken the bait. Like, no one's taking it. Wenger's not taking it because Wenger's playing some great football arsenal. They're playing some great stuff. Uh, you know, Spurs are like nicely on the outside rung, maybe drawing a few too many games, but they're still creeping up there. They'll still be there. Well, we're, not, we're, we're also, we're not really a natural rival. I mean, we, we are in the literal sense because the league table says we are. But in the in the kind of the old school, in Mourinho's mind, I'm sure that sort of his traditional rivalries, his Wenger, his Guardiola, they would still always take um, precedence. I, I'm certain of that. Um, but no one's having it. This thing, no, no, one, yeah, no, I, no one's, yeah. It just almost, it's almost a collect. No one's, no one's biting. No. No one's like, oh, the Mourinho Wenger handshake. You could see it was like Wenger was like, this is really boring. Like Wenger's like, I've got a really good team. I'm having a really good life. I haven't lost uh, since September. And since Ozil, he hasn't Ozil, lost a game since August. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean Yeah, Urzel's been Urzel's been playing spectacular football. 
I mean, Ozil's just scoring goals now. That's a, that's a terrifying prospect, right? All this great stuff happening at Arsenal. Why would they get involved in some war of words? I, I, honestly, I honestly believe they're just tuning him out now. And that's why he's so frustrated. And that's why he's picking these imaginary fights. And the people he's bullying and going after... I mean, there was a thing with Luke Shaw. I think we after, he went after Luke that Shaw, was I think. That extraordinary and, thing to say. That, and apparently you know. the players were... You know, one that came out, the players apparently were shocked. I think James Ducker was reporting. The players were like taken aback. I'm like, this dude has literally had his leg shattered. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's had his leg difficulty. It's, it nearly cost him his career. That, to come back, and and, yeah. the, and the fact when he got when he got injured, he was absolutely flying yeah. for us. I mean, people forget this now. No, he but was Memphis playing very, Depay, very well. Memphis Depay actually looked quite good in that formation because Luke Shaw was overlapping so high up that Depay could cut it off the inside left and was actually playing in the one position which he did really good at for PSV. And when a forward has come to new club, they need their creature comforts around them. You know, then he. Shaw settled Depay so well, and actually Depay's form. Look at it. When Depay got injured, when, when uh, Shaw got injured, I think it was at PSV. It was really interesting because that first half, Mata, Shaw, Martial, um, and Memphis were combining so well on the counter attack. We had like 25 minutes of, oh my goodness, this could actually work. And then Shaw broke his leg, and everything changed. And I really believe that was a big part of, you know, Depay's failure to adjust and knock on effect. And then for Mourinho to come in. You know, oblivious to all of that or ignorant to all of that or whatever, and to attack Shaw like he did, I thought was completely unacceptable. I, again, I mean, I, I didn't bring you on just to, to trash Mourinho, but it is interesting because, again, you know, but I think it's legitimate because I think a previous uh, Mourinho staple was, was, was man management. And I think right. the original sort of group of players who who developed under him at Chelsea have an incredible loyalty to him. And that didn't develop because of this kind of treatment. This kind of, you know, I, I don't even remember, you know, even players who underperformed for him, I don't remember them getting this sort of, this attracting this level of vitriol and, and persecution. And I, um, yeah, it, it's bizarre. Anyway, listen, we, um, I'll get shouted out if we go on too long. So I'm going to direct you towards, no, towards Sunday no, um, and what you're expecting. Uh, honestly, on Sunday, uh, um, I'm worried. I think it'll be a draw, though. Simply because we have Eric Bailly back, and that's a big, big thing for us. That is a big um, yeah. We don't have decisiveness. We don't have the decisiveness to kill off teams. I know that you beat. I think it was Swansea beat five 0 most recently. Swansea, yeah, but that's I, that, you know, you know uh, apart, apart, yeah, apart from apart from that, I think you're drawing a lot as well. I just can't see, you know, I just can't see it being more than one all, to be honest. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, I just can't see teams seizing the initiative. I don't think that either of the team has got the the momentum behind them. Maybe your Champions League exit took a bit out of you. Um, I think you know, it's, it's a shame because I, I love what Pochettino is doing. I'm a big, big fan of his. I think he's a terrific manager. Um, I, I just feel like neither team has enough in the tank to force the initiative um, at the weekend. Good answer. Musa Okwonga, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. The pleasure's mine. And can I just say, um, I know that Raj's star will continue to rise, but we remember you when you were, you were a small fry. You know, so you may get famous. <laughs> uh, you may, may be famous now, Raj, but we, we've got your number, mate. We've got your number. Don't, mate, don't forget the little people. He'll, he'll cut that out, I promise you. Um... <laughs> well, will, will he? Will he? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure, dude. Absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I better dash off. Hello and welcome back to Rule Roof. Thank you very much to Seb and 
Musa for their wonderful chat. Thank you to Carl as well for coming on and, and helping me do the, the first half of the podcast because we were very much struggling without Jack and Seb. Um, Carl's on Twitter, uh, Anchorman616, and his website is carlanker.me. Go give him work because he'll do good work for you. I think that's as shining a, a <laughs> references anyone is likely to get from me. Um, I've asked for some Twitter questions just so that it ends in some sort of structured manner. I'm going to have to answer them on my own. Um, I, if it was Jack, I, you know, he'd probably do voices for everyone else, but I think for his mental health when he does that, so I'll just answer it normally and, and it'll have to do, unfortunately. Um, Joshua Brown sent one in first saying, uh, assuming Toby returns at right centre-back who plays in midfield this week, I think for me, Eric Dyer probably gets himself a week off and it'll likely be Wenyama and Dembele, especially given that Dembele didn't play in midweek uh, against Seska uh, and Harry Winks did. Although I wouldn't mind seeing Harry Winks even against this Manchester United side because I think he's clever enough to to use the ball in a sort of the manner that we'd need him to. But uh, Moose Dembele is, is obviously the first choice in that sort of a position uh, at present and will be for the foreseeable future. So um, those two, I would start and then just go back into four two three one because we look far better in that sort of a position than um, we have when we've tried to piss about with our uh, formations. Um Sai Keeler says, based on this season's performances at Wembley, um, how do you think we'll cope playing there all next season? Uh, it's a tough one, really, because I don't think any of the Champions League stuff has anything to do with the pitch or the size or the, the fans or anything. I just think it was... You know, lack of preparation and and not preparation. Maybe that's the wrong word. I think maybe um, I just don't think they were maybe ready as a team for that competition and and sort of what was expected of them. They they looked a bit shell shocked between them. I think maybe their age and lack of experience had more to do with it than than a pitch or a stadium did. Um, and at the end of the day, with that sort of overallness of playing at Wembley is going to be the same for other teams coming there next season. They they probably there might be an extra bit of sort of umph behind it, given that you know fans of shit teams will be getting a proper day out. Um, not saying that White Hart Lane isn't, but you know Wembley is still the national stadium and everything. Um, so the, maybe the, the, there'll be an extra incentive. I'm not sure, but still not ready to say goodbye to White Hart Lane. White Art Rain, White Art Lane, really. Um, as yet, I don't think that's fully thinking out. I, I wanted to go back and play our Europa League games there, if I'm being completely honest, because I think we'd have we'd have done far better, and it would have been an ideal way to send White Art Lane off with with European football again, and either given people a, a chance who want to see European football under the lights back at White Art Lane there again because we, we we weren't really given a warning that that was going to stop um in any good sort of time um so that's 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 a real shame for me um uh, because if i'm being honest this 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 stance the club are taking um with it not being a stadium move it, it being an evolution of what i learned although the sort of 
you understand the sentiment and you get that it, it doesn't ring true with with how I feel about what's happening or, or what I think most people do. Um, and I think that may be um, PR and spin getting the better of, of what should be um, an emotional and, a, and sort of a sentimental moment in the club's history. Um, and it's a shame that maybe it's it's not being um, not being marked in in the way it, it could be. Um, although you know the flip side of that is that you've have a film in your fucking stadium and you're playing at the Olympic ground and you've got taxi cabs on your pitch, so it, it could be worse at the same time. Uh, Harold Houdini says, "What's your favourite type of takeaway? Uh, pizza, Indian, Mexican." who gets Mexican takeaway where do you get that from I mean you can go to a shop for a burrito but takeaway is like somebody comes to your house on the back of a scooter and gives you it so I've never had anyone give me Mexican that way there are a few nice ties sucker tie in Leeds I don't I quite like as a takeaway um Indian being Indian doesn't really feel like a takeaway to me um although it could you know you know how people call like Chinese food Chinese food it's Sort of Indian food's just food to me, um, so I wouldn't say that. I, I do like a pizza, uh, although I won't say that much. Uh, probably Chinese. Um, one's in Huddersfield. If anybody's ever looking for a Chinese in Huddersfield, that is the the best. That is the high water mark of of takeaways of of any genre. Um, Joe Gibbons says, uh, "How badly have we missed Eric Lamella? Uh, very badly, I would say." Um, uh, I think it's remarkable that Christian Eriksen's managed to start playing better without him being there because I thought it was going to take uh, until that added sort of um, creative pressure had been released from by Lamella being back in the side until we saw the best of him. But over the past couple of games, he's really improved um, without him. Uh, so having him back there again is just going to make that, that even better. So the fact that he's missing for this Man United game isn't ideal, but... Um, over this Christmas running when there is a, dic- a ridiculous amount of games and it can sort of make or break the rest of your season just how well you're playing this festive period. Um, we need him back and we need him fit because he's he's key to what we do, uh, both with and without the ball and at either end of the field. Um, Shy Town Spurs um, says, what is your favourite type of cheese? Um I'm not big on cheese, like like sort of blue cheese and all that cheese board type of shit. It, it, it's not for me, but I am a big fan of feta. If I ever have a, a, a salad or anything, there has to be feta in it, and I find an excuse to put feta in most things. Um, and it's quite healthy as well, which is nice. Uh, R Rose 10, which position do we need to strengthen in the Jan window, and will we? Um... I'm not sure to be honest. Um, probably some sort of wing cover that isn't Musa Sissoko, maybe. Um, I, I think that's a bit harsh, perhaps, but um, true. Um, maybe some more creative outlets. Um, I'm not sure, but I don't think we're going to be making any sort of drastic changes or or key additions. Um, it'll be if if there's a serious injury to one of the the main members of the squad, then I think we may have to dip our toe into the market. But otherwise, I think Pochettino's proven that he's more than happy to sort of take from the academy as and when we need to, and 
that'll be our first port of call, and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Uh, Obi says, uh, at Onwu, um, Dembele is crucial, worth giving Winks a go in that backup role, or reckon we need an addition to the squad? No, I'm, I'm, as I said before, uh, independence is question. I'm, I'm very happy with um, the progression that Harry Winks has already shown since coming into the side. He's, he's been excellent. Um, he's completely different type of player to Moussa Dembele, but he fulfills an almost similar sort of... He ticks a lot of the same boxes without doing any of the same things. It's 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 a really strange thing. It's it's like when you've got a screw that's um, that's pulled and you can use a flathead instead of a Phillips. It's a completely different tool, but it does the same job. Um, and Winks is is yeah, he's he's the flathead to Dembele's Phillips. Um, if if that's a tool analogy you're happy to travel with me with alex bottomley says we've lost seven fa cup finals on the spin and not won it for 25 years uh given ours and chelsea given arsenal and chelsea win it regularly should we be up in arms i'd like to have seen it win it. we've never won the fa cup in my lifetime and given we've got eight of them that's quite an achievement we, we last won it in 91 and i was born in 92 um so i missed out by a year because uh, I'm 24, and like that question says, we've not won it for 25 years. Um, I think it's second to the Europa League as as the biggest cup competition we can win. Um, sort of, I would put it on a par with the Europa League if I'm being completely honest. Um, the league is obviously the the biggest thing we can win, uh, given that we're out of the Champions League, and I'd, I'd even put the league title above the Champions League if I'm being honest. And um, I think the the FA Cup and and the Europa League are on a par. Um, uh, winning either one of them would make me very happy. Um, Gravin Christofferson says, would Lamella immediately go back into the starting eleven once he returns from his sabbatical? Given the form of Son at the minute, you'd, you'd have to say so. Um, he, he's, he's not playing, uh, even though he saw that screamer against Swansea, um, I'm not sure he's proven to be a better player than Eric Lamella is, which is quite a task given just how good Lamella is. Um, so I, I probably would slip him back in there before, um, you know, given half a chance, um, especially on the defensive end. He just gives far more at that end of the field than, than Son does presently or perhaps ever will, even though he, he nips up with the odd goal. But I'm sure that's something that uh, Seb will go into in, in far more detail when the date runs around. Um, that's all the... the the questions we've had. Sorry if that was a bit strange. Um, I feel like I've been talking for a while now. Um, but this is the first time I've really been out of bed for a week. Um, so it's quite nice to be able to open my mouth without things flying out of it. Um, again, thank you to Carl and to Seb and to Musa. Um, and sorry it's been late and things just things happen to us three sometimes that are out of our control i'm sure if you ask either one of the three of us we'd have much rather had the free time to to just knock this out at some point um than not have previously it's not as if we've got something all that better to do we've just got you know necessary things that have got in the way unfortunately uh but if you want to listen to old episodes of the podcast you can on rtrpod.com it's on acast as well it's got an app uh that jack seems to be a fan of whenever he mentions it um 
iTunes, we're on that. That's our main thing. Um, we're on Twitter at RTR underscore pod. Leave us iTunes reviews because Jack says that helps. And hopefully it's not just me next time. Hopefully there's, there's all three of us. So we'll, um, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 